0: Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your
1: host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Mike Finger. Mike, welcome back to the show. Thank you, sir. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to it. We're going to explore again how do you prepare your business for sale and some of the common misconceptions or mistakes perhaps that, that Mike encounters, because this is what he focuses on, and perhaps determining if you should sell your business. But certainly, as Mike will explain, and, and I have given this a lot of thought and experience as well, is I, I think every business that we own, we should prepare for sale, even if we're not intending to do so anytime soon. So that's what Mike and I are going to explore on this episode. To receive more information about the Howa Business, including the show notes page for this episode, and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just visit thehowabusiness.com. So let me tell you more about Mike. Mike Finger is a successful small business owner and the founder of Exit Oasis. Exit Oasis provides coaching services and resources to help small business owners like us prepare for the sale of their business. Over the last 25 years, Mark has bought, built, and sold multiple businesses, Building his first business was a rewarding challenge, as he says, but what really captivated him was the selling process, the selling of that first business. Mike explains that selling his first business was a miracle in his life. It changed everything, but it almost didn't happen. He was 10 years in with 50 employees when he found out the business was unsellable. It was devastating, as you might imagine, but he moved forward and focused on changing a few simple elements in the business. And those things made the first sale possible, the first sale of that business, and it changed his life. He now focuses on helping other small business owners experience that same miracle. And so, as I said at the outset, Mike, welcome back, because Mike has previously been on on the show back in episode 278, which I released back in October of 2019. And that episode, by the way, Mike, has now been downloaded a total of 8,130 times since we released it, a very popular episode. Fabulous. Um, Yeah, it was great stuff. On that episode, by the way, and this episode, I'm not going to get into Mike's background, his journey, because that's something that we covered on episode 278. So if you want to learn more about that story that I just gave you a recap of, of him selling his first business. We dove into that on episode 278. So on this episode, we're going to revisit some of those same topics because, of course, it's such an important topic of preparing your business for sale. Again, some common misconceptions or mistakes. And I have one big question that we'll get to, which is, how do I determine if I should sell my business? Having gone through it myself a couple of times and having advised my own coaching clients, it can be a very difficult decision. Mike lives in the warm Minneapolis-St. Paul area. So once again, Mike Finger, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Henry. Pleasure to be here. Yes, thanks for joining me. You know, as we were talking about before we started recording, you and I uh, get the pleasure of getting together about once a year on on David Barnett's uh, Christmas show, and that tends to be when we catch up a little bit. But uh, I'd like you to just share with us, since since we had you on the show back in, episode 278, October, 2019, bring us up to date. What are some of the key milestones that have happened for you and your business? Wow. What, uh, what has happened in the world
0: since 2019? <laughs> uh, it, what a, what a weird journey it's been this last couple of years. Uh, for me, it's been, uh, it's been really positive in terms of, of, of my business uh, overall, um, Disruptive times tend to make this a topic that owners that wouldn't explore do explore. So uh, I've had uh, I've had wonderful conversations, wonderful engagements with with clients that uh, uh, are about this, and then we got to go through the journey together of of, of that time period where uh, do I want to sell my business? Uh, dramatically changed to is my business going to survive and right. then it was something else a month later and a month later and a month later i'm the visual i will always have for that period is the is the conversation i'm having pacing back and forth in my living room at nine o'clock on a sunday evening with a coaching client who called who's just trying to make sense of uh, Details and variables that have just changed dramatically, and that's. Um, but again, fingers crossed. We've we've uh, we seem to be coming out the other side of that and and, and experiencing some normalcy, which I think is also true in this uh, in this sell a
1: business topic area. Yeah, man, no doubt. Did you see an increase of people selling their business? A, a decrease? How how did overall? How did it impact people selling their businesses? you know the, the best numbers
0: I saw uh, always talked about an increase in deals. Um, I, I don't know that it, it's so hard to tell, right? Yep. because numbers dropped off and then they picked up. Right. Um, overall, the, the the activity has been strong from what I've seen. Um, but this decision, this choice, it always comes down to a very individual journey so i, I tell uh, owners i talk with that you know you hear the other
1: stories but at the end of the day this is about what's going to happen for you yeah well said well said all right let's start at at, at this question what at a high level <laughs> we could have hours of conversation this is, this is what you help people with but at a high level what makes a business sellable is my question and we'll start to break that down Sure.
0: sure. Well, let's let's make this important distinction first. Um, Sellable is not the same as selling. I, I talk with a lot of owners who reject this topic outright because they say, I'm not ready to sell. And they think that's what we're talking about. And the truth of the matter is, is that's not this topic. This talk, this topic that we're exploring is about having the freedom to the, to sell when and if you choose to. And so when we when when we wrestle with the question, you ask what makes a business sellable. I always like to start there because there's a lot of fear with this topic and sellable is not a fearful thing because sellable and ownable are exactly the same thing. And so what what we look to do when we talk about what makes a business sellable is we ask what makes a business ownable. And and for me, when I started this process, um, that was the main question, right? Because there's so much complexity in this space. It's easy to find a list of 47 things that are important if you want your business to be sellable. Uh, but we don't have the eat right and exercise answer in this space. Things that give us ownership as owners of this topic. And so the breakdown for me comes down to three simple questions. Um, Are my results desirable? Can a buyer duplicate my results? And can I document my results? If an owner can answer yes to those three questions, they are well
1: down the path towards a business that they can sell. Excellent. Writing those down because I want to explore that, but I want to come back to this point that you articulate so well about sellable equally ownable immediately where my mind draws is or goes to is building an owner independent business. If the business depends solely on me, not only is that a business that's hard to own, but it's absolutely not sellable in most cases. That's right. It gets right to the
0: the core of that second question, right? Can a buyer duplicate my results? Well, if I'm not replaceable, the answer is no. And replaceable is so interesting from an owner's perspective because most of us get to this place of of ownership uh, through a path of trial and error where we've made horrible mistakes, where things have gone wrong, but we fixed them and we we do all of this stuff and, and, and we get to that place and we, sometimes we lose sight of how critical we are. And so it comes down to questions like, well, does anyone else but you make sales? Well, no, I'm the one who has the client contacts and I do. Well, that's a red flag for question number two, right? So it's that, can I be replaced? It's a key question.
1: Yeah. Another way to look at it is, can, can I be gone for a month? What happens to my business?
0: Right. Right. And this, this,
1: this whole topic really ties back to my, you know, from my execution mindset or organizational mindset is, is the systems. And, you know, the other way I've heard it expressed very well, Michael Gerber talks about it in the E-Myth about developing essentially a franchise, even though you may never franchise your business, but it's another way to think about developing a business that can run without you. Absolutely.
0: And that uh, there is so much truth in what you just said. And I frequently see owners' brains explode when they think about it, right? Because it's so big and it's so maybe different from how they run their business. And so what I love to see is a pragmatic path to get there. And what does that look like? Well, it starts with Henry works from home on Fridays he just doesn't go to the office anymore. And then it turns into Henry doesn't work on Fridays because when I do that now I've got to get an answer to the question, well, who do I ask if he's not here? Right. And now that system gets built and then it's the vacation, the three-day vacation and the, and, and finding ourselves at a place where we are pursuing the joy of this stuff at the same time that we're earning the benefits in our business. That's, uh, that's the um, the pathway I love to see owners follow.
1: Yeah. And I love that you explained that because again, that's what happens sometimes is a month. What are you crazy? And so it just uh, can't do it, but a step at a time incrementally as you're describing is the way to go about it. The other thing I want to explore, Mike, I think you've talked about this often is we develop, you, you explained that we get here by trial and error. We get here by brute force sometimes. But it also then becomes our identity, doesn't it? it? Becomes we really, we really can check. We have to check ourselves that we're not feeding off of the ego boost that it gives us. That we are the answer, man or woman. We we are the one they have to come to. So, have you found that to be the case? I suspect. Oh, of course,
0: uh, and it's yeah. it's such an evil recipe, right? Because when we're in startup mode, when our business is uh, uh, is young it is dependent on us. And so, so often we are the answer and it will fail without us and nothing happens unless we, and I I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm flashing back right now to the Friday afternoon where we commit to a project that I know means I'm going to work 40 hours from Friday noon till the start of the workday on Monday to get it done. Um, But there's no other resource to get it done. And so that dependency that the business has on us initially gets ingrained in us. We start to view the business that way. It needs that. It wants that. And the, the cruel part of it is it'll keep taking it from you as long as you give it to it. That's right. Right. It'll just keep taking and taking until you say, I don't want to do this anymore. I had, I had a, I had a planning session over, over the last weekend with a client and, and it was just such a, inspiring moment when the owner sitting at the table with his head in his hands was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he was speaking about the bad stuff, right? Yeah. I don't want to be working for this little money. I want to, I want to see these other things happen. And as soon as that change occurs, now we're looking at how do we make more profit? We can take the risk with this client. We can do these things. But again, as long as I'm the center of the wheel, um, uh, I assume everything has to run through me. And it just again, ownability, sellability. We 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 don't like being the be having to be there 18 hours a day. It's really hard to sell a business like that too. So yeah.
1: And you touched on such a great point as you're explaining that is that certainly at the beginning, and maybe even now, you may well be the one that that can answer it best or can do it best. But you're missing the point. If you want to be a solopreneur craftsman, like my dad was, that's one thing. But if you want to have, if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to grow a business, certainly a business that you can sell, then you have to step back. And then what you find something magical that happens in my experience, Mike, is that others, you might be surprised that others might actually do it better if you give them an opportunity. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm only laughing because I think of the numerous times that <laughs> I came to realize that this uh, incredible skill set I thought I had in this particular area just gets crushed. Right. But then you, you then you see it happen, and you're like, "Oh wow, what I
1: can accomplish now because I've recognized." Yeah, yeah. but we got to yeah. let go of that, right? Because because the question that then comes to mind is, "Well, then what do I do? What what am I? What purpose do I serve here?" And so that goes back to that identity that we've developed for ourselves as the firefighter in chief of this business. Uh,
0: true, true. And, and I mean, you know, we I think that question varies depending on the size of the business. It, you know, when we're at 5, 10, 15, 20 employees, there's always three other full-time jobs that need to be done that that owner can can step into, but it doesn't you don't have to grow that far beyond that where if you're doing it right, suddenly um people aren't coming to you because they're discovering the answer themselves as they've been directed to, but also as they want to. Right. And, and so, um, that, that identity, that identity tie in, um, it's hard. I, I, I mean, it's just, it's hard, but, um, we're all going to leave our business someday, right? That's right, that's uh, right. A, a, and so we better, ha- and I can still remember the mentor from early in my career who gave me the advice that uh, uh, if you are what you do, what are you when you don't? Mm, and uh, it, it it's uh, it's very, it's it's more true for small business
1: owners, I think, than just about anyone. Absolutely. Because we, we it's so consumes our lives and understandably. So so the other point I want to explore on this on this number two point of can it be duplicated is often we have to look at do we have a key employee or two that have all of the knowledge and all of the answers.
0: Absolutely that I mean the two key components there are the team you've built and the systems you've built, right? It's got to be about other people. Um, they're invaluable to what we do as we grow the business. But if the knowledge only exists between people's ears, um, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, I, I'm dealing with a couple uh, businesses right now that are growing through that stage, and that that owner frustration of why don't they understand this? Why haven't they? Okay, well show me, show me how, show me where the guidance is, show me where where it's written down that that it's been captured. And if we can't do that, we can't expect. Our employees to do it, let alone
1: a buyer to appreciate that it continue to be done. Right, right. Yeah, one last point on this, and then I'll move on to the other three, the other two of the three points. It's when I sold one of my businesses, not about five years ago, it was a Salon Suites business. I can tell you that every we had multiple interested buyers, and every single one of them, one of the things that they pointed to is that we had documented the operations so well and so thoroughly that they could envision themselves taking over this business. And that was a key part. That was a key selling point for us. Huge. It's huge. And,
0: and not for any fancy, special, hard to understand reason. The pragmatic right. reality of walking through the door and knowing the recipe for the thing that sells best, uh, it makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah. right. Going back to number one, my results are desirable. Are we talking about there primarily the the financial results of the business or what are you including in that item?
0: Yeah. I mean, two basic areas there. And it's, it's, it's not a, a, again, the, the, the whole focus here is simplicity. Um, Are my results desirable? Uh, You know, what's the seller's discretionary earnings look like? What, what, what does the owner, what's the financial benefit of being the owner here? Uh, too often as owner, we think sacrifice is our call in life. And so we think that uh, pot of gold's at the end of the rainbow. but the truth of the matter is that any buyer, more importantly, anybody who's going to fund that buyer is going to look at what the own, the previous owners put in their pocket and do a little math. And if it doesn't add up, uh, it doesn't add up. So uh, it, I, I, it, it's funny. I, in, in many cases, I am an advocate for my, for my client's, um, paycheck, uh, you know, no, you know, we've got the goals for the year. That's all great. But how do we put an additional 50 grand in your pocket? Because right. that's how we're going to get to the math that makes the exit make sense. And and then the other side, that's the financial side. The other side is the owner's job, right? I, I mean, it's just, what does your life look like? I we see. forget, we get that, we forget that as sell uh, or as, as owners, mm-hmm. that a buyer is shopping for a life, right? Right, and if your life sucks because you're there 18 hours a day, um, why would they pay you for the opportunity to have that? Right. Uh, and, yeah. So it's uh, um, it, it's the the financial desirability, and then the owner's basic job: Do you have freedom? Yeah. Can you visit? You know, can you uh, go to the kids' ball game? Do you enjoy the people you work with? Is the work rewarding? Some of those basic kinds of questions
1: come into play uh, when somebody looks at your business. Yeah, great point, great point. All right, and, we, and I can see, you know immediately popped into mind on the point of, because it's such a big thing for me, are you going to enjoy serving the clients or customers of that business or someone who's going to buy it going to enjoy that? But I can influence that by what type of culture do we have? Or do we make our clients happy? Or is a prospective buyer going to look at, man, it just seems like there's a lot of, battles here there's a lot of uh, collection headaches there's you know those things that i'm also going to inherit those are part of making it desirable the results desirable right absolutely absolutely those those things that
0: caught henry it's so funny i'll sit down with a, an owner who i, I got to get out of here and why do you want to get out of here why? because i'm miserable <laughs> okay but you understand we got to fix the things that are right. making you miserable before it's going to be a sellable business and of course, for, for me, the, um, the joy of what I do is I don't care if somebody ultimately sells, right? Um, because quite often when we create sellability in a business, somebody
1: falls back in love with their business. And that's a, that's a pretty cool outcome it as is. well. So. Yeah. yeah. And then you have an opportunity now to have it, give you the results you want, increase the value of the business, probably certainly uh, generate more income for yourself in that time period and it really opens up a lot of opportunities. All right, So my results are desirable. It can be duplicated. Third is document, which I suspect is mostly about clean financials.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, the, you know, the sexy stories in this place, uh, on this question are where we talk about fraud and where we talk about the second set of books and all that stuff. And, and that happens, but it's, it's, well, I'd like to say it's rare. I've run into it too many times to say it's rare. But the truth of the matter is, is that uh, uh, poor um, record keeping is much more common than dishonest record keeping. And so, this is about your ability to prove to me, as a potential buyer, that you you can prove that what actually happened happened. Right? Uh, uh, you know, do your financial records. Track. Do you have uh, contracts and agreements with critical vendors and employees that I'm going to want if I buy the place? Is the infrastructure, is the paperwork in order? It's not a, um, it's not the most entertaining question, but um, boy, it it kills, it kills all sorts of deals. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, 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 dealing with buyers who have, who are waiting for months to get a simple set of financials. Um, to be able to determine if they're interested in a business. That's the kind of stuff that just kills opportunity. Oh, yeah. I
1: mean, it just immediately begins to erode trust. And now it just creates this downward spiral. But it's an interesting point you make that beyond the financials. And I agree with you that I'd rather have disorganized financials, of course, than starting to see things that don't mismatch. And one of the biggest things I see, Mike, sometimes that leads to that isn't even a fraudulent attempt, it's commingling of funds, right? Oh, right. I pay that over here, and sometimes I pay personal things here, and all the stuff that you're not supposed to do. That makes it really hard to do any kind of forensics. Forensics on validating what you're telling me your revenues and profits are. Yeah,
0: yeah, and the, and the math when you dive into that stuff is uh, um, it, it's terribly disappointing to business owners because they realize that they saved a quarter worth of taxes and it cost them twelve dollars
1: on their um, or $3 on their sale. Good point. All right. Um, so other misconceptions that you have found, particularly with the process, Mike, like for example, I think one of the things that people don't realize is how long it could take to get the business sold. So so share with me some of your thoughts on that, especially now, as we talked about with the impact of COVID, what are some misconceptions or misunderstanding about the process of selling a business?
0: Uh, well, let's start with the big one. And, and the big misconception is that I can, uh, right? I mean, you, you and I have talked about those numbers before. Um, best numbers I can find available, say 20% or less uh, of small business owners will sell their business successfully. So unquestionably, the biggest misconception that owners bring to this process is a belief that they're going to be able to sell their business. Um, and that's uh, that's a huge uh, th- that's a huge eye opener for most small business owners. One that I think they all benefit from getting. Uh, before they're sitting down with the business broker, mind you, but, uh, or before something uh, happens that, that uh, requires an exit. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's so sad. It's so sad when, when, when you run into owners who, and it, and unfortunately it happens all the time. Uh, No retirement savings. I didn't save for the kid's education. I don't need these things because I'm going to sell the business. Right. No, you're not. And, And so, it we got we to kill that that misconception first uh, you you alluded to the timeline uh, I just uh, brought a, a broker to one of my coaching clients they're exploring a sale and yeah we get the nine to 18 month estimate in terms of um, you know average time to exit Now there are 30 day examples right but, uh, The truth of the matter is, is this is a complicated process once you dive in. And even if I want your business and I love it, now I'm waiting for two months for the SBA loan to be approved. Now I'm now we're waiting on this legal issue or that uh, accounting process. Um, It can take some time. And so uh, that uh, it, it, the the teeter-totter inside the owner's head uh, is an interesting one, right? Because we're either all in or I want to sell right now. Right. And the truth of the matter is, is that you're going to have an extended period of time where you're spending eight hours a day pulling together everything you need to try to make a sale and the other eight hours uh, working
1: on that business as if you're going to own it forever. It's hard. It's hard. I, you know, having been through it, both of us, Because you you can lose focus too. And you almost kind of begin to envision yourself after owning the business. You know, it's kind of related to senior fever, you know, where you already saw yourself gone, but you're not gone yet. Right. And you have to be very careful to manage that. Absolutely. Such an important point. The other thing, obviously, that comes up that I want to explore is, well, I think my business is worth a million dollars. And so let's explore that. We touched on it, obviously, on the, the last session, but it's such an incredible... Topic at a high level, the way that I've always valued small businesses is I look at that owner's discernible income or that profit, but really you got to include all those owner benefits. So you calculate that number. I look back three years and average those three years, and then I multiply it by a multiple that I think might make sense for a particular industry. Is that more or less at a high level the way that you usually see it done for small businesses? My
0: experience, Henry, is that uh, um, those that get compensated by valuing businesses hate what you just said. Of course, because it's, it's easy. And I, <laughs> I believe it's it's fundamental truth because it 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 picks up on the distinction that I think is so important. It doesn't matter what you what the value of your business. What matters is how the buyer can pay for it and if you don't have a business a buyer can pay for i don't care what the valuation says right now you and i both know stuff is worth what stuff is worth and if you own a trucking company and you have a million dollars of trucks parked on the back lot your stuff is worth a million dollars but that's not what we're talking about right Mm -hmm. we are talking about that machinery of business that produces profit and that machinery gets valued in any buyer's mind, the way you just described, because that's how they're gonna pay for it. They're gonna take the results of the business and they're gonna use that to do two key things. They're gonna use that to uh, earn a living and to pay the service on
1: the debt that they incurred to buy the business. That's right, that's right. I'm glad you put it in that perspective, yeah. Um, But but of course, as you also clarified, of course, there are businesses where there are assets to be valued. Real estate buildings equipment, like you said, so that that does have to be brought into play as well, though. It it, it
0: does, but we do it as owners in really screwy ways in our brain. Okay. I, I'm I'm reminded of the story the the uh, the broker told me about the the owner who got his valuation roughly based on, on you know on the, uh, on the formula that you mentioned, and was immediately aggressively. Um, negative because he's like the trucks i've got parked behind this building are worth more than that and of mm-hmm. course the broker's like why in the world do you have trucks parked behind your building you don't do any trucking <laughs> uh, well i did five years ago right i mean so it's like Funny. we uh, we get these things in our heads as owners and it's just not how uh, the
1: other i think it's that- human nature it's why we keep stuff in the garage because it has value quote unquote
0: yeah, I've got I've got an owner whispering in my ear right as we're talking, you know, from an experience a couple of years ago, telling me how there's a million dollars of inventory in this warehouse, but everybody who looks at it counts, you know, 150,000. That's because he still sees the opportunity, the upside, which mm-hmm. is why he bought the inventory or made those investments in the first place. Right. The problem is the market said no,
1: we don't uh, we don't want to buy those things from you. Mm-hmm. Another great point. So, to that end, do you when do you recommend hiring a third party to value our business, other than the broker? You know, in my experience, most brokers will provide a basic level of that, but but then we can hire somebody who specializes in that as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's
0: draw a very arbitrary line, and let's say if your business value uh, is likely to be. Um, well, let's, let's, let's take an easier number to count. If your revenue is 5 million or higher, maybe a valuation might have some value for you. Yeah. But if it's less than that, um, you much further ahead getting that broker's opinion of value, um, and having that conversation. In fact, my encouragement to owners is they have that conversation once a year, uh, talk to a broker once a year, have them come by, take a sniff, tell you what they think, um, You're going to meet a lot of interesting people. (laughs) You're going to get educated about this process and hopefully you're going to find someone
1: who you want to use to sell your business when you're ready. Right. Um, but and you on, do find that brokers are open to that because for them, it's a, it's a lead, it's an opportunity. They're going absolutely. to stay in touch.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we're not, I'm not talking about, you know, being, uh, uh, being dishonest about right, it. You right. say, listen, I don't know if I'm ready to sell, but I'd like to learn about your process and learn what you think the business, you know, could list for. And, uh, yeah, I've, i rarely find owners or find brokers that, uh, uh don't want to have a conversation
1: with a, with an owner. Yeah. All right. So thanks for that general speaking rule, 5 million and above, you may want to get it valued. Otherwise the broker. So I get, I take that to believe in having known you, you do recommend in most cases that we engage a broker to sell our business or what are your thoughts there?
0: It depends on the business and how you're looking to sell. But I, I, I think in most cases, that represents um, uh, probably the most pragmatic way forward. Now, I, I will say back to your original question, Henry, that um, that's probably one of the bigger changes I've seen in the space in the last three years is the number and um, growth of the online yeah. sell your business platforms. Yeah. Uh, broker-free type environments. Um, that space is on fire. And I mean, we we
1: just sold our, you know, as you know, our frozen yogurt business that we've had. We just sold it last year, and we did that ourselves through an online yep. platform.
0: Yep it it's uh it, it's a game changer, which many uh, brokers are in denial about. <laughs> um, it doesn't work for everyone. It does right. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you brought a knowledge base to doing that. That. Most owners wouldn't have. Right, I would be the last person to say that brokers don't bring value. Mm-hmm. Different brokers bring different value. Some bring none. Some are extraordinary. Um, but there is a uh, there is a security in that process. Again, it depends on what the type of what type of business it is and and what your reasonable exit
1: value might be. Agreed. Yeah. And To me personally, there is also kind of a threshold. This. The yogurt restaurant was at a price point where we thought it doesn't make sense to pay that commission. We can sure. do it. Like you said, we have the experience, David Begin and I, who you know as well. But when I sold my salon business, I sold it through a broker. A couple of different reasons. Higher price point. I, I felt like at that point, I didn't quite have the knowledge. But one of the many things a broker provided for me there is I needed to keep it secret from my uh, – in that business, I had tenants was my sure. client. And it just was not, would have not been productive for them to know. So that allowed me a layer of separation of secrecy that was essential to me in that transaction. Great point. Yep. Absolutely of benefit in a situation like that. All right. When do I bring in someone like you? There aren't too many people like you, but when do I, when do you typically, ideally do clients bring you into the process?
0: It's a great question. I, I I've got to rely on a former client to, to give you the answer. And, and I, I remember distinctly when she told me, I'm not sure if I'm ready to sell, but I'm ready to be ready to sell. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so that again, for me, it's about getting to that place where you want to be, where you want to have the freedom to make the decision. Um, that is uh, and, and again, the, pro- the biggest problem in this space, from my perspective, is that most owners think they're there now. They think they could sell whenever they're ready.
1: Um, and that's just not true. So, so you must me- have a lot of pushback, though, because a lot of times people don't want to be told that, right? So you're looking for the owner who is open to that, obviously, and is, is willing to take that, that answer that you may not be ready right now. Yeah, well, that's that's got to be day one, right? That's got to
0: be let's let's take a look at the financials. Let's talk about what we have here, and back to our original, you know, point. Can a buyer buy this? You know, can it? Do the results that are generated here are they sufficient to allow a buyer to buy it? And again, outside of the question of the assets, um, as you brought up earlier, in most cases, the answer is no for most small business owners. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. This is a question that I have always pondered. You, you said earlier, you know, we weren't talking about this point of should I sell, but that's where I want to go next. Yeah. Briefly, because it's uh, to me, they're like, I, I've kind of summarized that there are two biggest decisions that we have to make as business owner: when do, when do I stop? When do I shut it down? Because, uh, because I'm never going to be able to turn it around or or reinvent the business model to make it profitable. So when do I stop putting money into it? The other one, which is maybe even harder to make a decision on is, when do I let this go? When do I sell it? In other words, when I, if it's a voluntary decision, you know, I'm assuming I get to this point and it's voluntary. How do you look at that and how do you, how do you help people make that decision? That's a, that's a great question. Um, it,
0: it's, it's a deeply personal one it is obviously it depends in part on how somebody views the business if the business is primarily an investment something that doesn't consume their life that is you know then we can we 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 could answer your question fairly simply by talking about you know,
1: return on investment and where else could you put that capital in some right. of those sorts of things. That's but, that, that's a big one right away. If I, if I do have that situation, then that's often the advice that I get is, okay, well, you got to think through where else are you, the tax hit and where are you going to deploy that capital to give you similar returns? Right, right. A- and it's it's
0: luxuriously simple in that situation. In most cases, that's not the situation the owner has because their life is so intertwined with this business, where it is, what they've done, um, what they what they desired it to be that it isn't. And so it, it's it, for, for me, when I sit down with a client who's wrestling with that question, um, it comes down to those, those basic life questions in addition to business questions. What do I want to spend my time doing? Yeah. Um, what brings me pleasure and uh, 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 what 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 gives me satisfaction and you know as as i'm sure you experience all the time for a lot of owners there are pain points that grow over the years i loved my first business henry i loved it and then i hated it I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and i it's it's like it turned on a pivot now i know that didn't happen i know there was a several year long period where that started to change but the, I, I, ex, I mean, I, I have the regrettable um, reality that I can tell the story about other clients the ways I do because I lived it, right? Mm-hmm. It, um, it, it, if you're getting, if if you're to this place and, and we think there's going to be warning signs, we think, <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not, a, in some ways, I'm not a huge fan of the whole concept or the term of exit planning, because it seems to happen so rarely Interesting. Where, where someone has a, here's my 15 year plan. I'm going to sell for this amount on July 2nd, blah, blah, blah. Right. This, this laid out, um it, it, it rarely happens that way for the owner. What triggers it? Um the visit to the doctor. Yeah, yeah. Uh the or
1: diagnosis a, or a the partnership divorce. that goes wrong or a divorce, yeah. exactly. But 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 also related to that, what happens is, and this is what I do think you have to revisit on a periodic basis is the business I may no longer be in alignment with where I want to go. Right.
0: Right. No, that's that's a great point. And the other side of this is that. When we're owners, we're so tied into this. But Henry, you and I know a secret, right? We know there is a magical, uh, a magical time period that happens right after you sell a business.
1: Yeah, and
0: and, and experiencing that and talking about that with owners can be a uh, a wonderful uh, drive forward for them because there's a lot of fear about this. But absolutely, I I have come to just love that period after the sale. Um, what do I, I, I've got resources, I've got time, I've got interest I can explore. In my case, I it, it meant buying or building another business each time, yeah. but the freedom to do that was fabulous.
1: I will say though, that for some people I've observed going back just briefly to the identity point, it was so much, well, you, you phrased it. It was the quote you shared. It was so much about who they were that right. now, now they don't know who they are.
0: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's uh, there's prep work to be done around that. Right? That's right. How, how am I going to spend my time? What am I going to, um, what are the interests? In fact, one of the things I'm finding really interesting with several clients I'm working with right now is we're combining some of these goals. So you alluded, you and I talked earlier about extracting yourself from the business. I have clients right now that don't work on Fridays and what they're spending that time on is what the next venture is ah, going to be. I love and, that. and, and so it becomes kind of a baton pass. Yeah. They're, they're excited and ready to go into the next thing just as their, uh, their last thing is ready
1: to exit. Yeah. That's brilliant. Instead of waiting completely until it's all done. And then you're like, Oh shoot, I hadn't thought about what's next. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. All right. Great stuff. Uh, we'll start, I can keep asking questions early, but we'll start to wrap it up. If, where do you suggest people start in getting ready to sell their business? Now, and just to go back to the point you made about having a business exit plan, I agree with you. But the way I look at it, Mike, is to me, the plan is to develop and build a business so that it is sellable as a way of operating the business, as you articulated, right? So that in itself can be an exit plan. Is that fair? In absolutely. other words, not about and, asking the question, uh, "Am I going to exit in ten years?" But have it ready to sell. It can be a plan in and of itself, right? It, it, it
0: absolutely. And, and I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to uh, overstate what I said earlier. We, this is where we get to. I think that's the old Eisenhower quote that uh, uh, "plans are meaningless and planning is everything," right? right? It, it's right. that process that makes it possible, and so. It, it's about that. When you ask for where you start, um, for me, it's it's one word. It's intention. It, it's it's starting from a place where you, as an owner, can say out loud, "I want to sell this business someday." And and once you create that intention, then the next question is, how do I do that? And for me, it's again, it's about something simple and pragmatic. I, I encourage owners, all owners, to set. A lunch date on their calendar with their future self, right? I'm going to spend 30 minutes a month on this topic. I'll read articles, I'll watch videos, I'll listen to podcasts. I, I'm going to invest a little bit of time every month on making this work out well for me in the future. And to me, that's that's how this grows. It, it starts organic.
1: Yeah, I love that. All right, we've touched on it, but is there anything we didn't cover as to the the services that you currently offer your clients?
0: Um, I, you know, again, my my focus is on the coaching uh, that I do with with small business owners. I'm not a I'm not a huge business guy, um, so um, it, it's it's uh, small to um, small to mid sized companies uh, with owners who are interested in being able to exercise that freedom when and if they choose to. Excellent,
1: and then I'm always looking for book recommendations. Last time you were on the show, you recommended the E Myth, but I think where you want to point us is to this incredible list of books that you have on your website, right?
0: You know, it's funny what I what I did is, is we put together a uh, uh, an online library of free books about selling your business. So the, this is uh, I, I I'm not sure what the count is up to right now. These are resources from around the internet of of places you can go to download or um, engage free books about selling your business.
1: Yeah, that includes our friend Mark Barnett who has a, a free book as well. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, yep. There's a number of them up there. It's uh, again, the, the it, you're not going to lack you're you're not going to lack for opportunities to gain knowledge in this space. Well said. Um, yeah. uh, yeah, no, that's a good point.
1: So where tell me where I go, what the website is to find that list of books. Uh
0: you can you can find us at exitoasis.com. Um and a quick search there for library uh will bring that resource up. Um, if you're looking for me, I'm most active on LinkedIn. Love to connect with uh with folks through there and and, and push a lot of content uh out about this topic.
1: Yeah. When you search on LinkedIn, I don't think there are too many other Mike fingers. So you should be able to find Mike fairly easily. Right. I believe so. Yeah. Or is it, is it Michael finger or is it's Mike finger on LinkedIn? Yeah. I'm, I'm in there as Mike. Yep. Mike, that's what I thought. All right. We'll wrap it up, Mike. What's, what's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation and it might be related to the question you answered about where to start, but what, what's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation we had about selling a business?
0: Um, my, my overwhelming, compelling advice to small business owners is really simple. Don't wait. Um, most owners we wait and then we fail. I I call me, call someone else, talk to a broker, listen to a podcast on a monthly basis. I don't care what it is. Don't wait on this topic because the only person that gets hurt from that is you.
1: Don't wait until you have to sell to, to get ready to sell. Just don't wait. Right. I, I, I mean,
0: again, the, the common answer is I'll get to that when I'm ready to sell.
1: Right. Right. That, okay. that, and ready. So to it's, sell. It's, it's, it's not just ready, but educating yourself on what this all entails. Start now. Yeah. All right. tell us again where you want us to go online to find you or to learn more. Find me at exitoasis.com or on LinkedIn. Uh, and again, my name is Mike Finger. Mike, great conversation as always. Thanks for sharing all this knowledge and putting it in terms that, that I can understand. And uh, it's all great stuff. Thanks for coming back on the show and be with me again today. Henry, enjoyed it very much. This is Henry Lopez. And thanks for joining me on this episode of the How with Business. My guest today again was Mike Finger. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find my show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching
0: programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.